Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of season two of the Running Explained podcast. I am Elizabeth, your host, and I'm very excited that you are listening to this episode. You have probably already, you know, seen the title. We're talking about walking and run walk today. And I hope that more people are listening than the people who are actively using run walk in their training right now, because as we're going to go through Uh, Through this episode, we're going to talk about all of the benefits that walking and run walk can have in your training, even if you are someone who is a relatively speedy person. Maybe you have run some significant times and qualified for some significant races. This does not mean that run walk does not have a place in your training. But as we get up to those higher paces and faster finishing times, uh, it becomes more of a personal choice in terms of how you structure your training and your racing. There are some people though, we'll talk about for run walk is going to be one of the most beneficial tools in your toolbox to get you to where you want to be. So run walk. If you're familiar with the Galloway method, Jeff Galloway an Olympian, uh, he calls it the run walk run method because yes, I think run walk implies that you run and then you walk and is that it? No, you continue to run again. Run walk is a way of structuring a run or a race, whatever it is that can includes intervals of running interspersed with intervals of walking. It does not mean though that when you run walk, it is an interval workout. And fun fact, actually, the way that the reason interval workouts are interval called intervals is actually the interval it refers to the rest interval, not the not the hard work interval. So yes, while technically the definition of an interval workout is a period of work interspersed with an interval of rest, run walk is not an interval workout because when you are using run walk for most people, you're going to be using it to increase Uh, the time you can spend on your feet and often to also stay in a specific effort zone. And that effort zone is almost always called the easy effort zone. And of course, if we are running hard on our intervals, we are not staying in our easy zone. So we're gonna talk about all of this and kind of break this all down a little bit later on. But I want to give a kind of a background and about run walk and kind of some of the common rebuttals right off the bat for all you people who are saying, but, but, but I don't need to be here. I don't need to know this. This does not apply to me really. So, um, often when I talk to runners who are just now for the first time, maybe they've been running for a long time, or maybe they're brand new to the sport. They, they learn that on their easy effort runs, runs where they are staying in their easy effort zone. It's significantly slower than they've ever run before. And one of the most common things I hear is, or kind of two questions I hear is why are my easy efforts so much slower than the rest of my runs? Like way, way, way slower than anything else that I run. Why do I have to slow down so much to stay in my easy zone? And two, if I run any slower, I'll be walking. Now, the answer to that second question that I always give is, okay, so walk. <laughs> if, if, it's, if you have to slow down so much that you are going to be walking, then you need to walk because our bodies not understand pace. They only understand effort. And if walking gets you into the effort zone you need to be in to build that aerobic capacity and endurance, then you need to be walking. Now, the whole point of this is that it is a road to the destination, right? It is a means to an end. For many people, although not all, utilizing run walk is a tool that gets them through to when they to a place where they can be walking less and running more or even maybe running entirely and walking almost done. Right. So for a lot of people, they say, well, if I have to slow down that much, I'll be walking to that. I say, then walk. 
it's okay. This is part of the process. You're not going to be here forever, but if you try to force it and spend too much time in a zone that's too hard, you're not, it's only going to prolong your misery. It's only going to take you much, much longer to get to where you want to be. Now, the first part of this scenario, this question is slowing down into my easy effort zone for the very first time. I, I have my heart rate zones and let's, we're arbitrarily selecting, let's say, okay, I know that my easy zone, I have to stay at 148 and below according to my heart rate strap and my calculations thereabouts and make sure it's easy effort. But to slow down, to have my effort and heart rate be in that zone, I am running minutes per mile slower than I used to run on my quote unquote previously what I used to think were my easy days. And of course, now I know that they're not right. So this is really common. And actually, this is so common that I have a a very clear picture in my mind of the type of runner who like with paces attached, right? I'm not kidding. I see this probably three times a week. (laughs) Runners who are typically running their quote unquote easy runs anywhere between nine and 10 minutes per mile, hate going slower than 10 minutes per mile for any reason whatsoever. But for their level of fitness, that is not an easy run. It's not an easy run. They're racing only slightly faster, if at all faster than the pace that they're doing all of these quote unquote easy runs on. And so we see, we make the change. They, okay, yeah, I embrace this. I, I have my zones. I know what I'm supposed to do. And all of a sudden they're running 12, 13, 14 minute per mile to stay in their easy zone. And they're thinking, oh my goodness, how, how is it that I could, or I am capable of running, you know, in this pace range. And now in my easy effort zone, I am three, four, five minutes per mile slower to stay in my easy effort zone. This is something where Phil Maffetone, who I don't necessarily agree with in the in the practice, but in the principle of how he approaches aerobic development, has coined this term called aerobic deficiency syndrome. It's not a real syndrome, and not a lot of research has been done on this. But you know, for me, logically, and thinking about the colloquial application of this to a lot of the profile of a lot of runners that I see, it makes sense. And aerobic deficiency syndrome typically just basically means that your aerobic capacity is deficient. And that's why, that's why there's such a mismatch between what you can do in your moderate or high intensity zones versus what you can do in your low intensity zone. Think of it this way. How are you supposed to be good at something that you've never done before? How are you supposed to have developed a skill in an area that you've never actually spent significant time practicing? How are you supposed to have a strong aerobic capacity if you've never spent time in your aerobic building zone? The reason it's so common to slow down so much into your easy zone when you first slow down into your true easy effort zone on your easy days is because of this quote unquote deficiency. The great thing about all of this is that a deficiency can be rectified. The opposite of deficiency is efficiency. And what we're talking about when we're talking about building aerobic capacity is building efficiency in that aerobic zone. And if you are new to this podcast and have not heard me wax and wane and bring on a myriad of guests to discuss aerobic um, the benefits of building aerobic capacity in a variety of situations and why it's so important for you as a runner to slow down and spend so much time in your easy effort zone on your easy effort days, uh, there are many episodes for you to choose from to listen to. But suffice it to say that let's assume that you understand how important building aerobic capacity is to your Uh, overall fitness, to your overall speed, to your overall everything that you want to accomplish with running. If you are trying to run anything longer than let's say a 3k, (laughs) definitely 5k and over aerobic capacity building is your friend. How does this relate to run walk? How does this relate to the topic of the day? Because like I said, for many people, when they are first starting, or honestly, not even first starting out for many people, period, Spending time in their easy, true easy effort zone means there may be run walk involved. And that's completely okay. As a coach, I do not care how fast you go. I only care that we are spending the right time in the right easy zone. That's it. That's it. I'm not impressed by you going faster. I'm actually, what impresses me as a coach is not that you can run super fancy, fast PRs, blah, 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 all this. Not that you can do these things on your workouts. I'm really impressed when an athlete internalizes and really accepts the purpose of every single run in their training catalog. And by the process of their consistency 
over the course of months or years gets faster, like noticeably faster. <laughs> they're, and they're staying injury free and they're enjoying the process. That's what impresses me as a coach is an athlete who embraces the process. Okay. Run walk. How does this all come back to run walk? So yes, for many people, Staying in their easy effort zone is going to require some run walk, but there are other situations in which you can utilize run walks. We would run down kind of the, the general places where run walk and how run walk can be used. So run walk broadly, you can perform in three different ways. And like I said before, some people are going to be using run walk as a tool to like bridge them into a place where they're not using run walk anymore. Some people will, will may um, have components of run walk in their training, maybe not every run, but some runs, but kind of forever. And some people are going to intentionally use run walk as a strategy to both train and race. So there are many different ways you can use run walk intervals in your training and your racing. And it just kind of depends on, on who you are and what your goal is and how things are going for you and, and all of this. So, um, like I said, one of the most famous kind of proponents of run walk is Jeff Galloway. Yes, he is an Olympian. He was uh, a 10,000 meter runner. He ran in the 1972 Olympics, um, but he is the kind of his light bulb moment, according to the lore of run walk and, and his history is that he, after the Olympics, you know, he'd been running obviously at a very high level for quite some time and was starting to feel really beat up and struggled with injuries and started taking walk breaks in his training and then went on to start racing with walk breaks. And I want you to, he's an elite, he was an elite athlete, right? This guy was an Olympian and he, he is still an Olympian, but he went to the Olympics. He is fast. He is speedy. He is one of the people that we see on the start line of major marathons on the front row. Imagine today, seeing one of those athletes take walk breaks. Imagine walk, watching Elliot Kipchoge take walk breaks in a marathon, right? That's how it's, it's kind of mind blowing to think about. And it was, it was unbelievably mind blowing when he started doing it back in the seventies and the eighties, but he went on to run a personal best of two sixteen thirty five in the marathon while taking a walk break at every mile. That's just let that sink in. That's amazing. <laughs> That's just amazing to run that fast. But hey, he credited the walk breaks with allowing him to train and race that way to stay injury free and to stay in the race. The walk breaks, he said, allowed him to do it. Why? Why are walk? Why did walk breaks allow him to run that kind of time? Well, obviously, you know, he probably wouldn't have run that much slower uh, if he had not taken walk breaks, because like I said, elite athlete, but yes, you can run PRs. You can race PRs with a run walk method. And we're, that's something that we're going to talk about separately is racing with run walk. But broadly speaking, how run walk works, why it's effective, right? Intervals goes back to intervals. Think about your classic interval workout, your classic speed work, hard work interspersed with rest or recovery. During that recovery interval, it allows you to recover from the work you've just done so you can go again. You know, as well as I do, that doing things in small chunks with rest in between allows you to do more of that hard work than you would necessarily be able to do if you tried to do all of the hard work at the same time. So what do I mean by this? I think it's, you know, <laughs> anybody who's ever done any sort of hard interval workout knows it's much easier to do five of something with rest in between than to do all five back to back without any rest. Why does this work? Has a lot to do with physiology. I'm not going to get into uh, that's a little bit complicated, but basically talk about the recovery mechanisms that happen when we give ourselves that rest or recovery interval has to do with the way that uh, lactate is shuttled out of places where it's accumulated. It has to do with the way that hydrogen ions are buffered. So the environment, you know, it, which was becoming acidic is buffered into neutrality, a more favorable environment for ourselves to work in. All these types of things we talk about, lactate clearance and ion buffering. And, you know, all this is basically to say that when we, when we run, we can accumulate certain byproducts and certain things, you know, our core temperature heats up and all these things start to happen. If we give ourselves a little break, 
we kind of bring everything back down, right? Kind of lower the temperature on everything, sometimes quite literally, <laughs> right? We give, our, we give our body a chance to catch up on the recovery. That's the whole point of run-walk, right? Is to we get to recover a little bit during the walk break so that we can then run again and kind of start from a place where we're, like I said, we're a little bit fresher, a little bit more recovered. And literally from a physiological standpoint and biochemical standpoint, from a cellular level, we have, we're starting at a little bit better place at the beginning of each run interval after we have walked than if we had run straight through. Now, why doesn't everybody run walk? There are plenty of reasons why you wouldn't choose to run walk. Even if you uh, could, we're talking more specifically about people who are choosing to run walk or who really do need to run walk in order to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish in their training and their racing. Broadly though, that's how, that's why run walk works, right? You get the recovery, you get to start a little bit fresher at the beginning of your run interval. You can do more. You can do more than if you had tried to just go all the way through with just running. So yes, although run walk is set up like an interval workout, it's not an interval workout. It's just intervals. Generally speaking, the most, the most common application of run walk you're going to see is when you are using run walk to stay in an easy effort zone or to increase your overall endurance, right? To, um, bring the effort level down. Maybe if you are training for something and it's super crazy hot, you got to walk to keep your heart rate, your effort in the right place, because the stress of the heat is keep is kicking you up out of your easy effort zone. Maybe there are hills involved, whatever it is, maybe just the act of running for longer than three minutes gets you out of your easy zone, right? Pops you out of your easy zone. Then you slow down to a walk until you're recovered and you're kind of ping pong back in between the top of your easy zone, and the bottom of your easy zone. And you are by dint of using the run walk interval, staying in your easy effort zone. Now, when you're using run walk to build aerobic endurance, aerobic capacity, but their goal is to move to 100% running down the line, right? They have the goal of I'm, I'm using run walk as a tool to bridge me into being able to run 100% of the time, even in my easy effort zone for those runners, I would, or I typically recommend using run walk intervals that are based on heart rate and effort, not based on time. Why is this? Why is this? because a time interval is relatively arbitrary. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. There are situations in which specific time-based intervals are a great way to portion out your intervals. But for a runner who is specifically looking to use run walk to build their aerobic capacity to be able to do 100% running in their easy effort zone, I'm going to recommend running by effort and heart rate. Why? Because I want you to spend as much time as you possibly can in your easy effort zone. And as you are building your aerobic capacity, that might change, or I'm not going to say that might change. That's going to change from day to day. We talk about all the time how you don't have an easy pace. You have an easy effort zone. And within that easy effort zone, you have a wide variety of paces. That exact same principle applies to when you are using run walk in order to stay in this specific effort zone, your easy effort zone. This can look like when you are very first starting out at run walk and you're using effort and heart rate to guide you and to stay in your easy effort zone, you might be doing kind of erratic and irregular run walk intervals right? You might run for 30 seconds and all of a sudden your heart rate's 165. Oh, okay. Got to slow down. Got to you know, slow down. Walk, walk briskly, walk until your heart rate has settled. And it's probably, I like to say, you know, probably low zone two, right? Zone two is a huge zone, zone two, you know, even zone one, we don't want it to drop down too low, right? We don't want to get down to like 90. <laughs> if you're walking, it probably won't be, but um, we, the goal is to spend the time in the easy effort zone. Like I said, to kind of ping pong between the top and the bottom to firmly stay within your easy effort zone inside your easy effort zone for the entirety of that run. And when you are first starting out, that might be extremely erratic and weird. And like you, like I said, 30 seconds here, and then you have to walk for three minutes, but then you hit a downhill and you run for two minutes and you can stay in your easy effort zone until you hit a flat and it starts to rise and you have to start walking again, right? 
all of this to say is that it doesn't, if we were to have used time-based intervals in this situation instead, those specific interval choices might be all wrong for you on that day or ever. So I see this sometimes people say, well, I do a, I, I, you know, I'm in this place and I'm building my aerobic capacity and I'm doing a this, that run walk. And then I'll look at their data and say, you might be following those intervals, but you're not, you're not in your easy effort zone for (laughs) where you need to be for whatever reason, right? Maybe they are walking too much. Maybe they are running too much. But the whole point of this specific situation when you're using run-walk intervals to build aerobic capacity is that if your goal is to move to 100% running, you need to spend as much time in your easy effort zone as possible. So using heart rate and effort instead of pace, or sorry, time-specific intervals. And I noticed I haven't mentioned pace at all in any of this, but we're going to talk about that in just a second. So that, that is one kind of one of the most common applications that I see when I work with runners who are building aerobic capacity, have these big endurance goals, you know, understand the importance of slowing down, but then they slow down so much that includes walking to that. I say, that's completely okay. This is a means to an end. This will get us to where we want to be. You just have to do it and be patient. It will happen. How long does it take for the magic to happen? It depends. Hi, welcome to the show. The answer is it depends. Um, (laughs) For most runners, we see, we start to see on paper changes within eight to 12 weeks. And by on paper changes, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're spending, oh my gosh, all of a sudden you're magically running 100% of the time. No, it means that things start to even out. So those super erratic, super irregular intervals where you could like barely run for 30 seconds before your heart rate skyrocketed, that doesn't happen anymore. You are able to spend, consistently spend very regular periods of time in your easy effort running zone before slowing to a walk. You can run more. You can run longer. You're feeling good. You're not sore all the time. You're not feeling all these things, right? So things start to even out on paper changes. Okay. Now we're going to talk about, like I said, pace a little bit, but not really. Um, I mentioned previously that a couple times, we're only 23 minutes in. I think I've said this like five times. (laughs) Run walk intervals are not an interval workout. One of the most common mistakes I see with people who implement run walk as a general training strategy, not necessarily specifically staying in their easy effort zone to build a road capacity, because that, you know, if you're doing that, you kind of already know the importance of easy effort running. But even in situations where, you know, you, when you run, you're running like you're, Oh, gotta, gotta run snapping into the microphone. I only learned how to do that in the past couple of years. I don't know why I couldn't snap when I grew up. Anyways, (laughs) totally off topic. When you are in your run interval, you're running. You're running as fast as you can. And then when you, your walk break comes, God, you need that walk break. God, you're dying for that walk break. You need that walk break so badly. And you you slow down to like, I mean, it's technically walking, but it could also just be moving forward very slowly, like maybe on an, <laughs> you're practically standing still, right? Because you need that recovery so badly. That's not what we want to have happen when we're doing run walk. Your, your running interval And your walking interval should be relatively close to each other. Relatively close to each other, right? So instead of the big pace swings that we see, oh, run as fast as you can for your run interval so that you can make up time because you're going to have to walk, that is a backwards strategy from a physiological standpoint. It may make sense logically, If I'm going to have to walk, I must run as fast as possible to make up time. I promise you that is the absolute backwards way of thinking about using run walk in your training, especially when you're trying to increase your endurance. So first of all, we talked about the importance of the walk interval as giving you recovery. When you are working super hard in your run interval, 
your recovery interval has a lot more to do. Like your recovery interval, you have a lot more lactate to clear. You have a lot more hydrogen to buffer. Your core temperature has gone up a lot higher than it would have been, right? So all these things you're thinking, if you're digging yourself into a hole every time you run really, really fast on your run interval, all you're doing is just you're not doing yourself any favors, I guess is what I'm saying, is that you are the going so hard requires more recovery. And I, I, I see this. This is a, what I want to have happen. I want you to bring your walk interval and your run interval more close, more close, closer, closer together from a pace and effort standpoint, especially, especially, obviously, especially if you're using this for easy effort aerobic capacity building. But even if you are doing any sort of train racing with this, we're talking a little bit later, it's kind of a trickier subject. And I have thoughts on that as well. But I often see, hey, I'm trying to run as fast as I can to make up for the time that it's been walking. No, actually, it's not the way you want to do it. The, the natural kind of transition point between a walk and a run from a mechanical and an energy efficiency standpoint happens around 13 minutes per mile, 1330. I think it's about eight, eight minutes per kilometer, um, in the metric system. So while it, yes, it is possible for you to run slower than 13, you know, minutes per mile, um, from an energy and metabolic cost, it may be more efficient for you to run. And that's also, like I said, kind of mechanically, that point where you naturally, if you were, if you are on a treadmill and somebody kept just kind of bumping up the speed a little bit at a time and you started to walk and eventually at a, there is a natural transition point at which you are going to start to run that usually happens around 13 minutes per mile. Okay. So thinking about that, right. And let's say, you know, you're used to, if you're doing run walk for aerobic capacity building and you're thinking, yeah, but you know, I'm running, I'm running my run intervals at like 11 minutes per mile, but then I have to walk at like 17 minutes per mile. Um, bring those closer together, right? So slow down your run, speed up your walk, slow down your run, speed up your walk. If the goal is to get to 100% running, slow down your run as much as possible so that you can run longer intervals before needing that walk break, right? That's how you do it. That's how you extend your ability. It's how you work on your efficiency in this very specific zone. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now we're going to talk, before we talk about time-based intervals, we're going to talk a bit about another common, not objection. Okay, sometimes, sometimes it's framed as an objection. Sometimes it's framed as a genuine, like, help me. Am I doing something wrong question? It has to do with form. Running form at these slower paces. It, the, the question usually goes something like this. It feels really uncomfortable to run that slowly. I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Like, it just doesn't feel right. So we've talked previously in the show about kind of the, the neuromuscular, the neuromotor, that brain body, that mind brain connection about how a lot of things that you do when it comes to your efficiency with running are completely subconscious. And they're just the movement patterns that your body has learned are the most efficient for it just through like, just through having done it so much, right? You don't remember, you, you know how to get home in your car without having to quote unquote, think about it. It just happens kind of the same thing when it comes to the movement patterns that we get developed. If you have any sort of other hobby or skill outside of running, right? If you have ever played a musical instrument or a, a, a sport that requires hand-eye coordination or anything, if you do woodworking or if you knit or like any of these things, you don't have to think about those movements. They just happen. And if you do start to think about them, it starts to get weird. It starts to feel really weird. 
Oh, have you ever, when was the last time you thought about running while you were running? It's really awkward and uncomfortable. When was the last time you sat down to knit and you started thinking about the, what you were doing and it messed you up? Same thing. Most of what we do when we do it is a kind of, not pre-programmed, but a really well-worn neuromuscular superhighway, right? The neural networks of these specific movement patterns are deeply ingrained into how into our brain and into our movement patterns. So when you do something new, it takes a while to build that new neural network. It takes a while to build those new neuromotor brain, body, mind, muscle connections. That could be one thing here. Basically, if you've never actually run that slowly before, it just feels awkward because it's new. It feels awkward because it's the first time you've ever done it or ever done it consistently. That's normal. Stick with it. Obviously, stick with it. <laughs> it will become natural. It will become very natural. Uh, another one I often hear about form is that it hurts to run that slowly. Like it's physically, I, I'm in physical discomfort when I slow down that much. And to that, I say, that's not normal. And there's something wrong. There's something that needs to be addressed somewhere in your kinetic chain because it is, it is absolutely possible to run very slowly with really good form and mechanics. It should not be painful to run at any speed. Now, this could be something as simple as maybe that you are bounding, as in that you are taking large steps and you have a super low cadence and you're landing really heavily, high impact uh, ground force, and that's uncomfortable. Um, it could be that you are, um, maybe you're kind of bouncing up and down a lot, a lot of vertical oscillation, right? You're taking short steps, but you're, the force that you are producing with each step has not lessened so that you're actually sending yourself into the air a little bit more. Again, high impact ground force, very wasteful in terms of the energy that we spend moving up and down versus moving forward. There could be something more common uh, to do with your mobility or strength in certain joints, including your hips or your ankles, right? So if it is genuinely painful for you to slow down to the pace you need to be slowing down to, that is a, that is a sign that something's not working the way that it should be, and that needs to get fixed. It should not be painful to run you know, it should not be physically painful to run a 12 or a 12, 30 minute per mile, right? It may feel very slow. That's okay. That's okay. But it should not physically hurt. So kind of, we have the new movement pattern. Repetition will get you through that physical discomfort. Something feels wrong. That means something is wrong. It doesn't mean that you can are allowed to run faster than you should be. It doesn't mean that you need to sprint every run interval. It means you probably need to see a physical therapist <laughs> and that's okay. That's completely okay. Generally speaking, if we have form deficits or issues at, let's, I, and this can happen at faster paces too, um, but if you typically, if you have form deficits at slower paces, you have them at faster paces. It's just that your movement patterns have learned to compensate or mask the issue but I guarantee that at the end of long races, or if you were in a position of extreme fatigue, those same deficits would rear their heads. It's just that your body is really good at compensating. Every physical therapist I've had on this, on this show, we've talked about it so many times, your body is so good at compensating for deficits and weaknesses. So every, anytime that you do something where it can't compensate, or you fatigued it to the point where it's unable to compensate, that's when the issue pops up, okay? So these two things, form issues. Yes, it is possible, like I said, to run with very good form at very slow paces. It's not impossible. Yes, you can do it. Your form will look different than if you were sprinting like you're on the cover of Runner's World, but the principles of good form, as we call them, remain unchanged. It's just going to be a less dramatic presentation, a less pronounced form, I guess you could say. So it means that yes, even if you keep a relatively high cadence, that your, your steps are going to be relatively short, short stride length. You are not going to want to bounce up and down a lot. That's wasted energy. You're probably not going to have very much of a forward lean. That's okay. 
we don't need one at slower paces, right? You don't want to be leaning backwards. You probably don't want to be ramrod straight, but you don't need to have like that. Oh, you need to forward lean at the ankle at a really, no, like you should have principles of good form. And yes, if you were to take a still of you and take a protractor to it, yeah, there'd probably be a degree or two of lean. I'm talking 15 degrees here. It is possible to run with good running form at every single running pace. Okay, let's talk about the transition between the run and the walk. Because this I see a lot too. We talked about how we don't want to, you know, speed off to the races every single time the run interval happens. I, this is what I like to see with my runners. When we're using run walk intervals, I like to see an acceleration into your run and a deceleration into your walk. So this does not mean sprint at the start and come to a screeching halt at the end. (laughs) A smooth acceleration and a smooth deceleration. If you've ever done strides, the running drill strides, this is basically how you start a stride, except you don't, you don't hold top end speed, right? But we want to, once you, you come to the end of your walk interval, you don't just, Oh, gotta go. You know, like you're at the start of a race every single time you want to smoothly accelerate over the course of five, maybe 10 seconds, smoothly accelerate into your run interval. So this means just kind of slowly, like think about an engine running up like, okay. And now I'm in my run. Do not sprint off the blocks. Do not just take off. You want to smoothly accelerate. Similarly, smoothly decelerate. Smoothly decelerate at the end of your run interval. No coming to a screeching halt. Although run walk can help with injury prevention, running is a high impact sport. Uh, Walking is not as high impact. Yes, you're still hitting the ground, but not nearly like you are when you run, right? So if people who are injury prone, run walk can be a great tool there. It can help reduce injury rates. I also think run walk helps reduce injury rates because you're actually spending time in your true easy effort zone. That's another thing though. But yes, walking is far less high impact than running is, but you have to make sure that you are not just kind of coming to a screeching halt at the end of your run interval. We've talked previously about how overstriding needs to be avoided. Overstriding is when your foot lands and loads out in front of your body. That's a problem. Overstriding is not good for you. It's not good for your efficiency. It is basically breaking. It is basically when you when you if you're running and you're overstriding, you are essentially breaking with every foot strike. Now, you're trying to say, how do I slow myself down if I don't break? You can slow down to a walk without quote unquote, putting the brakes on without sticking your foot out in front of your body to slow yourself down. This might take some practice. That's okay. That's why we train. We practice, practice, practice. You want to smoothly decelerate. This just means kind of trickling off, right? Letting your run interval slow, slow, slow. Imagine you are on that imaginary treadmill, like we talked about previously, except instead of uh, slowly ramping up to a running pace. You are, they are slowly, slowly, slowly decreasing, decreasing, decreasing that speed until you're at a walk, right? So no sudden braking movements, no flinging your foot out in front of your body to slow yourself down to a sudden stop, right? Smoothly accelerate, smoothly decelerate. Name of the game, name of the game, smooth. And I guess acceleration, accel and decel, smooth. <laughs> This is what happens when I record solo episodes. I, I have no, uh, no guest in check to keep, keep my rambling on track. All right. One more topic before we talk about time-based intervals in racing um, is uh, etiquette, etiquette, etiquette. When you are doing run-walk in a place where anybody else is around, but especially in a race environment... The etiquette that's been developed, and I think this came from Galloway, is that before you slow to a walk, right? So you're in your, you're coming to the end of your run interval and you are going to slow to a walk. You put your hand up in the air and that signals to the runners behind you that you're about to make a change in pace so that they don't run smack dab into you because they assumed you're going to keep going. This is just a very nice thing to do. This is a a way to protect you and the people around you from the fact that you are 
doing your, you know, you're changing speeds, right? So protect yourself from being run into, protect others from being confused about what you're doing. You put your arm in the air, you throw your hand up in the air, and that signals to the people behind you that you're about to slow to a walk. And like I said, that's smooth deceleration. You don't necessarily need to do that when you are speeding up into a run. Um, obviously, especially in a race environment, everybody's heading in the same direction and changes in pace into running are expected. It's just that people don't often... that's kind of expected. Like you're moving forward. Um, You don't necessarily need to signal that you are running unless you're in a group and you're signaling to the whole group, whole group that, Hey, we're about to start running again. The other thing I will also say, having participated in races where um, there are a significant portion of run walkers, just from a, a group etiquette perspective, um, it can be challenging for course navigation. If every runner in the group is running in a single, in a, in a, a line shoulder to shoulder. So I know that there are a lot of people who train with and race with friend groups who participate in races and you all run together and that's, you do it. Like that's amazing from an etiquette standpoint though, if there's really more than three of you abreast, like in a, in a row, shoulder to shoulder, um, it's probably best if you change your group up into a a clump instead of a line. That way, people who are behind you can get around you if they need to, especially, and this happens a lot too, especially if there are a whole bunch of different groups of run walk and you're all kind of moving at different speeds at different times, right? So you might be running when another group is walking and you pass them. And then a little bit down the road, they pass you because you're walking and they're running. And if everybody is like in a single line across the whole road, it makes it hard to, to get around other groups of people. So just from an etiquette standpoint, if you are more than three people, um, clump, don't line. <laughs> uh, and that can also, especially if you are the person who is signaling to your group that we're, you know, it's time to walk, it's time to run. Um, that's much easier to see if everybody's kind of in a group and there are people behind you rather than like looking down the line to like, Hey, did she raise her hand? Oh, Hey, did he raise her hand? Are we going now? Are we stopping now? What's going on? So two bits of etiquette about this, no matter where you are, if there are other people around, Using those signals and those strategies can be very helpful for you and for everybody else. Okay, paces, paces and times, times and paces. And we're going to talk a bit more about the fact that, believe it or not, there are some really, really high level elite athletes that use run walk in their training. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so uh, run walk from a time based perspective. This is the section where it starts to go a little bit in a billion different directions. There are, okay. So time-based intervals, what does this mean? This just means that you have decided on a a static interval of running and a static interval of walking. And if it's, you know, two minutes of running and a minute of walking or 10 minutes of running and 30 seconds of walking, like it can literally be any combination of time-based intervals of run and walk. And it is going to depend on what your goal is, who you are, you know, what you're trying to accomplish, all of these things, all of these things, right? So um, there are, there are some guidelines though. You're not totally in the dark here. Generally speaking, we're talking about building up fitness. We're talking about uh, endurance building and, and running distances that we would be unable to run continuously anyways, we're probably going to be talking about a shorter run interval. And if you are somebody who is, you know, elite runners, elite triathletes, those types of athletes are probably going to be using much longer intervals, right? So they'll be using 10 or 15 minutes of running and a walk break versus somebody who might be using two, five, seven minutes of running and a walk break. Right. So we have to remember the, the longer the run, like you have to be able to sustain the pace and the effort for the entirety appropriately for the entirety of your chosen time interval. And then you have your walk break. The guideline on the walk break is typically between 30 seconds and one minute. There, there are situations in in time-based in time-based, right? We talked previously about going off heart rate and effort, and that's kind of like the wild west. Like it is what it is, right? If you run for 30 seconds and walk for five minutes, because that's what needs to happen on that run, that's fine. That's completely okay. We're talking about here is time-based and this is more performance oriented. Um, 
and in your thinking, what's the difference between performance oriented and aerobic capacity building? Um, performance oriented t- typically tends to be somebody who has been using run walk in their training. They have an idea of what their ability and pace range is and that they are, they're typically going after an approximate time-based goal, if not a very specific time-based goal, understanding what through the training that they've done, right? You don't, you don't, you have to do this in training. You have to have an understanding of your ability before you set these goals, um, especially with racing. Um, but it tends to be, these time intervals are tend to be highly specific to the individual athlete. So, um, I know this is so unhelpful for people who are like that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> okay. Typically what I see with runners and I'm going to use a runner who is, you know, yes, you can run a continuous 5k, but really for anything longer than that, you are going to be implementing a run walk strategy. Your preferred run walk, run walk strategy is time-based, um, because you generally have no issue staying in your easy effort zone for the time-based intervals that you choose, right? So maybe you're doing a three-one or a five-one. And you know, for the most part, like 95% of the time, you are able to maintain an easy or a, an appropriately effort, appropriate effort and pace for the entirety of that time-based interval, whether you are training or racing, right? So if the goal is easy effort, you can stay in your easy effort for the whole uh, for the whole interval. If you are racing, you know, you can stay in your appropriate goal pace effort range for the entirety of that interval. And then you have your walk break. So kind of with all these things we talk about, it takes some experience and practice and training. That's okay. Like I said, though, typically your time-based walk interval is going to be between 30 seconds and one minute. And this is because of the general things that we know about time-based intervals and the preferences that runners have and also how, yes, you may specifically prefer an, you know, 75 second walk break. Um, typically I wouldn't really recommend going shorter than a 30 second walk break because you're going to spend most of that walk break accelerating and decelerating from your run. Um, but you're not actually going to get a break. And depending on how long your run interval is, you may feel like all you're doing is starting and stopping, start, stop, start, stop. If you are doing like, you know, 30 seconds run, 15 seconds walk that like, that's going to drive you bonkers. I would, I would much rather see, okay, that runner, my recommendation for that runner, if you are doing extremely short intervals of both running and walking, I would recommend extending both those out, making both of those longer, right? So increase both your run and your walk interval. Okay. So if your runner has been doing 30 seconds, let's say you've been doing 30 or seconds or 45 seconds of running and 15 seconds of walking. That's, that's, I'm pretty sure that you probably feel like all you're doing is starting and stopping. Um, I would recommend extending that out. So how about trying if your run, if your run interval is that short, because that's how short you need it to be, keep it that way or roughly but extend your walk interval. So for this situation, I might say, do a, try a one-to-one. Try a one-minute run and a one-minute walk and see how that goes. For many cases, even when we're using time-based intervals, the goal is, to a certain extent, to increase the time we spend running. Not necessarily to decrease the uh, free, the 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 duration of the walk interval, but to increase the time between those walk intervals. What does this look like? Um, So thinking about endurance building, using time-based intervals as a strategy for both training and racing. Sometimes we'll start out with a a time-based interval of, let's say two to one, two minutes running, one minute walking. And over the course of training, depending on the distance of the run and what we're trying to accomplish, those intervals might increase so that we are moving to a three to one. And then after some time, moving to a four to one, and then maybe even to a five to one, right? You might move all the way up to a nine one or a 10 one, depending on 
your level of comfort and how things are going. And then the question I can hear of, how do I know when it's time to move up in an interval? How do I know when it's time to extend my run interval if I'm using time-based intervals instead? One, I would still like you to kind of keep an eye on your effort and heart rate, right? Don't we, we always want to use all the available tools we have for all of this. And I would still remind every runner that your perceived effort is always going to be the governing factor here. Yes, we use heart rate to guide us. Time-based can help keep us on track. Your perceived effort is really important here. But one of the most common signals to me that it's time for a runner to bump up the duration of their run interval is when they forget to walk in on one of their runs. So this is, this is one of the like kind of glare, like neon signs, like time to increase the run interval, right? If a runner is getting so comfortable and just so like kind of just zoning out and really happy and effort is totally in check and everything's going as it should be and they forget to walk, that's a sign it might be time to bump up the run interval, right? So if you've been doing three ones and you realize like, oh my God, I, I forgot to walk. Oh, oh wow. I just blew right past that. Uh, maybe it's time to move to a four one and see how that works. There are also situations where, like I said, you may want to um, use different intervals depending on what you're doing, right? So typically speaking, uh, not typically speaking, actually speaking, we know that there is an inverse relationship between volume and intensity. The higher the intensity, the lower the volume. This is why you can't race a marathon at your 5K effort. You just can't. <laughs> higher volume, lower intensity. Lower volume, higher intensity. And it's more of that, um, it's that higher volume, higher intensity necessitates a lower volume, but although you can do low intensity at super high volume. Um, so what does this mean? This means that if you are, let's say, training on your long runs and you're using, let's say you're using a, an 8-1, right? Just to say 8-1 on your long runs and you're comfortable there, but you also know that you're, you're, you're taking it really easy on your long runs. You are slowing that run way down. You're getting the recovery. You're steady through the end. Everything feels really good, but you also know that you are staying firmly in your easy effort zone for the entirety of that long run. When you go to race, you may be in it again, it will depend on experience and what you personally find when you try this. And this is why, you know, racing is a skill that needs to be developed. You may find it challenging to stick with that same interval, but increase the effort. Although it can be possible, right? We typically race at a higher effort than we do, than we run on at training, although it's completely okay to run your races at your easy effort pace. That's our easy effort zone. That's completely okay. It's really up to you about what you want to do on race day. But if you are aiming for a, a race effort, something harder than easy on race day, um, it may be challenging to maintain that higher effort in that same length of interval. Although, like I said, it's not, it's not that you, it's not impossible, right? This depends on the runner. So what might this look like? This might look like for a runner, if you're doing eight ones on your long run at easy effort, maybe when you race, maybe you're doing five runs, but your five, your, your run interval is at a higher intensity or run intervals at a higher effort so that your overall pace is increased, even though your all overall run duration has decreased. And this is all like, he can get lost in the weeds. There are some recommendations from Galloway about how to partition out your run walk intervals, depending on what your specific race goals is. And I think he's he really talks mostly about the marathon. So for example, his recommendation for somebody who's trying to break three thirty in the marathon is they do a four minute run and a 30 second walk break. Um, and again, this totally depends. This totally depends on all these factors, including your history, your goals, all these things, right? So not say like, oh, if I'm trying to run a 3:30 marathon, this should be my, my, my goal interval. Um, you might be if you're if you're doing run walk, it might be longer than that, and that's totally fine. The one thing I, I will say, and I talked about the 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 run intervals and the rest intervals. I mean, the, the walk intervals is that you know Galloway, you know, being one of the the most um, I'm to say loudest, but the most prolific, <laughs> most frontline advocates for run walk as a method of training is that he, 
there are situations where he says you should do like a 15, 15, as in like 15 seconds, 15 seconds. And I, I just can't, I can't get behind that much starting and stopping. Right. I'm sure that there is somebody out there who's going to DM me and say, that's my interval and I love it. That's great. That's great. For most people, that's just going to be a, a really uncomfortable amount of starting and stopping. So like I said, that walk time-based walk interval is probably gonna be between 30 seconds and a minute. And yes, you can work on increasing or decreasing your time-based run intervals, depending on how your fitness progresses and what your goals are. And this is all, this is where it gets into the whole super tricky. It depends. The thing I always want to keep coming back to though, is that effort, that effort. If you have not built up your aerobic base, if you have not built up your aerobic endurance, if you do not have a strong foundation upon which to do the things that you're trying to do, the interval isn't going to be nearly as effective. So one of the ways that we, primary ways that we use these run-walk intervals is to make sure that we can stay in the proper eat zone on the proper days. And for the vast majority of runners, that's going to be so that we can keep our easy days easy. For the vast majority of runners, we're going to be using run walks so that we can keep our easy days easy. And yes, we can race at higher intensities, but what we're really trying to do is make sure you're spending the right amount of time in the right effort zone. And for most people, that's going to be your easy effort zone. And I've been trying to, every time I feel like I continue to talk about the importance of spending time in your aerobic um, capacity, building subaerobic threshold, easy effort zone, all these things, I feel like I'm always coming up with new ways to describe or explain or or, or kind of explore all the, how can I convince you the importance (laughs) of slowing down and building aerobic capacity because it's going to make everything better. And um, I saw this on Twitter, so I didn't come up with it, but I'm passing it along to you is that, and I think I've actually said this before in some capacity, is that a rising tide lifts all boats. What does this mean? It means that when you build a stronger foundation, everything else gets faster. If you are building your aerobic capacity, everything above that also gets faster. This does not happen in a top-down approach. It only happens in a bottom-up approach. What does this mean? This means that you can't spend a whole bunch of time in zone three, four, or five and expect zone two to get better. We just talked about that, aerobic deficiency. But when you spend a whole bunch of time building your aerobic capacity, it makes every zone and pace above that faster. This is how you can do training cycles composed of 98% easy, slow aerobic running and PR on race day. That's how this happens. Your your aerobic capacity is the foundation upon which all of your other paces rest. And when you make that stronger and faster, everything above that zone also gets stronger and faster. And that does not happen in the reverse. Working on zones three, four, and five, working on your faster paces do not make you better at zone two. So that's my, again, constant reminder the importance of your aerobic development and your easy effort, whether you're using run walk or not. And the other thing I'll say for some more high level stuff, and this is, this is getting a little bit outside of my scope, but, um, I mentioned before that elite athletes and including triathletes have had great success utilizing run walk in their training. Triathletes are interesting people in that, um, how they're training, they do such high volumes of training And their races are so long, right? Even an extraordinarily fast Ironman is still, you know, eight hours for a man. I think the world record for the Ironman is seven hours and 21 minutes, which is longer than most people spend running a marathon, right? That, so one of the things about triathlete training and the importance of developing aerobic capacity and triathletes tend to spend an extraordinary amount of time in an ultra low intensity zone. I mean, low, like zone one, right? They are spending huge, huge, huge amounts of time in very low intensity zones. 
And yeah, I mean, to become a triathlete, you probably are fitter than, you know, the average person. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Maybe you have a better aerobic capacity than the average runner, but you cannot get to be that kind of endurance monster without a strong aerobic capacity. And they spend vast amounts of time in these very low intensity zones. And for them then necessarily utilizing run walk is going to be an extremely effective tool for maintaining that very low intensity over long um, durations of training. You know, you and I are out here talking about keeping our easy runs and low, you know, for the average person, the normal, you know, quote unquote, middle of the road regarding heart rate runner, maybe the 130s or 140s on our easy days. For triathletes, they're out there in like the 110s, 120s, one, you know, um, for their easy days, right? So the, again, um, this is a little bit outside of my personal scope, but something I also just really wanted to acknowledge is that, you know, with with greater endurance goals requires a greater aerobic foundation. And the really the only way to do that is to spend a vast amount of time and consistently like over the every year and over the course of the years that you train to continue to spend a lot of time in your aerobic development zone and your that aerobic capacity building um, uh, phase zone stage, whatever it is, it never stops. Uh, you never stop building your aerobic efficiency and, you know, to, to give it a little bit of a plug uh, about longevity and why it's just good for you in general um, is that, you know, if you want to be running for the rest of your life, which I hope that you do, having a really strong aerobic capacity is going to be super, super key, not only from a general health and fitness standpoint, but also from an injury prevention standpoint, because running too hard all the time is one of the most common ways that people get injured, Right. Running injuries happen to most people, but, 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 but running at too high of an intensity too frequently is a huge contributing factor. So if you've been utilizing run walk and you've been sprinting out the gate every time you hit a run interval and then screeching to a halt uh, for a brief walk, you know, I would encourage you to rethink all of this and utilize run walk to stay in the effort zone that you are supposed to be in for the purpose of that run. Um, and again, Again, one last thing before we go, I'll reiterate, I don't even know if, if I iterated this, but I'll reiterate it. There is probably going to be a lot of ego busting when it comes to this, right? If I slow down to my proper easy effort zone, I'll be walking. Then walk. It's okay. I've walked. I walked on my long run two weekends ago. <laughs> It was great because I needed to, I needed to just because you have hit certain milestones in your training or racing doesn't mean that everything's different now. Doesn't mean that you never walk again. Doesn't mean that these things don't apply to you. If you are in the wrong effort zone, that's you're in the wrong effort zone, period. No matter who you are. It's just that people who are really fit tend to have a lot more real estate to work with in these effort zones before they need to slow down and walk. Doesn't mean they never do, just means that the rest of us have a little bit less of a buffer to deal with. So I would encourage you to think about the ways that run walk might benefit you in your training and your racing in your development of your aerobic capacity as an overall strategy. Um, generally speaking, your personal time-based run-walk interval is going to be a personal decision and choice, but I want you to make that decision based on also things like effort and heart rate, not just arbitrarily assigning pace um, time intervals or specific paces to your time intervals. It has to come from a place of actual foundational knowledge. It has to be a decision grounded in fact and it's okay to change your mind or change what you're doing. If you have arbitrarily chosen some sort of interval, run-walk interval, and it's not working for you, then change it. Don't think that you're stuck there because that's what you decided, right? Maybe it's too easy. Maybe it's too hard. I don't know, but your training is supposed to change. And one of the ways that we become really good athletes, no matter what our ability is, is that we learn how to listen to our bodies, to be flexible, and to adjust things when they're not working. 
right? If your friend came to you and said, well, I chose this and I don't want to change it, even though I don't think it's working for me, you'd say, what are you talking about? Like you just said, it's not working for you. You need to change that. They say, no, 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 no. But I already, I've already chosen it. So I can't change it. Like, yes, you can. Nobody's making you. Um, so if you have any questions about run, walk, or why, or if you should include run, walk in your training, I am happy to answer. Um, I also want to say on some housekeeping, I'm, yeah, if you've made it this far, welcome to the very end of the episode where I plug what I do. Um, I'm very excited to say that uh, the Running Explained coaching team is growing. We have two coaches, Coach Andrew and Coach Elena, who are now part of the team. They are taking one-on-one clients, and they're also going to be helping facilitate some of our fall training groups. We'll be running a variety of fall groups. So we have two marathon groups happening, an October marathon, which is kind of a non-specific marathon training group for an October marathon. And then we have a very specific New York City marathon training group. If you're running New York and you want real help and guidance from a coach who's been there, Coach Andrew ran 244 in New York 2019. He knows the course. He knows what he's talking about. That group might be for you. We're also going to have a couple half marathon groups going on. And then looking ahead, there's going to be a Dopey Challenge group talking about run, walk, Dopey Challenge group, and then probably a January marathon for all you January marathon types out there. So stay tuned. Registration is opening on those groups. And I hope that you learned something today, including that run, walk is totally normal and might have a part, um, might have a role in your training, even if you didn't think that it did. So thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoy today's episode and I will talk to you guys soon. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can always find and follow me on Instagram at running explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.